Hey, this is Josh Bain with Role Playing Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 149, Labyrinths and Mazes. Mazes and Labyrinths. Uh, linear versus non-linear scenario design. And with me, and with me, uh, not as always, is Bill. Hey, everybody. Uh, we, I live. You do live. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get Bill on the podcast because he hasn't been on in a while, and I think this would be a good, fun discussion. Um, but before we get into the the scenario design, you know, serious talk about this, uh, yeah. I do have a bit of news. Let me adjust my monocle. Yes. yes. Mm, yes. yes. Uh, I just want to let everybody know that uh, you may have heard some news about Patreon. Uh, and their pricing policy uh, that has been uh, because basically on December 7th, they announced that they were going to change their pricing policy and basically make uh, patrons eat all the credit card transaction fees, uh, which was really going to suck if you backed a lot of people uh, because they're also going to do it per pledge. They weren't going to aggregate uh, pledges anymore, which... Yeah, I mean, the batching issue was the real kick in the fork. Yeah, so if you back 10 people, you, instead of paying one fee... Well, actually, you didn't pay... You don't pay any fees right now because creators, we pay for it uh, and we're happy to do it because getting some money is better than getting no money. Please don't cancel your pledge. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Basically, instead, if you back ten people a month at one dollar each, you would only be pro- there would only be one ten dollar transaction, and then Patreon, yeah, yeah, currently. Uh, but what they were doing is splitting into ten transactions, and each one having a fee that would be two point nine percent plus thirty five cents. Uh, however, after universal outcry and basically uh, from creators and patrons alike. Uh, they they reverse course. They're not going to do that now. To be fair to Patreon, this was not just a money. This was not a money grab on their part. I, I do believe that they made an honest mistake because they were trying to fix real issues with it. Uh, they were there were two real problems. One, people uh, who signed up and then uh, downloaded everything from a creator and then canceled their pledge before they would be uh, charged. So like you know, literally stealing content, and that ha- and that does happen. Um, and then the other problem is double charge. If you signed up on the 29th of a month, you'd be in uh, some creators are charge up front, like RPPR is charge up front. Uh, but if you sign up on the 29th, you get charged, you know, two or five dollars or whatever. Uh, and then uh, on the first of the month, you get charged another two or five dollars or whatever. Yeah. And so that kind of sucks for those people. And so they were trying to solve that by doing it. Like every other monthly fee, where you ju- or every other subscription service like Netflix or whatever, where you you pay as you go on the anniversary when you sh- sign up, uh, but that obviously got rid of aggregating pledges, which is the real value in Patreon, and uh, because of the network effect and all that, and uh, they were, they listened to everybody. So if uh, I do know a handful of people have uh, canceled, did cancel their pledge because of that. RPPR, uh, but you don't have to anymore. So if if you if you cancel because of that, please come back. Um, and also, we have a lot of great content uh, on our Patreon. Anyway, uh, we're next month we're going to start back with Wad the Heck. Uh, going oh, back, good. In, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, we've done a whole year, over a year of uh, uh, Palladium, and I think that's more than You're enough. You're saying that like it was a preferable alternative. <laughs> <laughs> what would you rather us do, Bill? I I don't know. I really <laughs> it's don't a, know. it's it's the sort of Damocles all over again. Yep, pretty much. Um, so um, we're, you yeah. could make Caleb review Pathfinder supplements. I've 
I I don't want to. I don't want Caleb to to. I, that that's how you lose people from the podcast. That's how. That's, that's how. Fair. Caleb, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I don't want it. I don't want to subject. Caleb's had. Caleb had so much problems with the it's, the, the it's shipping. True. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, you can make anyone review Pathfinder supplements. Yeah. Uh, Pathfinder supplements again. They, they, you really they're, have to go back. Actually, well done. Yeah, for, it's yeah. They're, not to say that they're perfect, but like comparing Pathfinder to say Palladium or Old World of Darkness, like nineteen nineties. Yeah. yeah, you're you're mining rich veins. I'll give yeah, you yeah. That. Uh, so we're starting with Montreal by night. We're gonna do some of these by night books, city books. Uh, we'll see how long that goes. Then we might switch to some other supplements. I don't know. We'll just kind of feel it out. Uh, but it'll be really fun and exciting. Uh, we also have always fun on after hours for values of fun. Uh, I know we're going to do a special after hours, uh, maybe as a bonus episode, uh, because I found out about this, uh, evil star Trek comic, uh, mirror broken swole Trek, as I call it, where Picard is a ripped, uh, goatee. Like he, he, everyone has sleeveless shirts and, uh, and protein and protein. So much synth protein powder. (laughs) Yes. And, I, uh, it, Strangely, it, it looks like they all skipped leg day because the pants <laughs> still fit the same. That's actually a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, yeah, they're really uh, so. Listeners, I've I've seen this now. Ross has shown a physical <laughs> copy of it to me, and because I respect his investment, I did not shred it on site. But I have become your sin eater. Yep. Uh, I am the sacrificial lamb. Well, we'll get as we'll, we all shall be. <laughs> we'll get we'll get a there's five. It's a five of a, a five issues are out of a six issue thing. Um, so the, the the but we have to talk about this. So we'll, that will be on an after hour. So that's do just you, for the patrons. Do you have to? They're literally murder like, hobos. I feel like you need to acknowledge <laughs> the role of choice in this. You okay, I want choosing. to. Right. I am choosing to do this because I it's good honesty it's on your just part. So insane. It's so insane. It's it, just it really is. Yeah. Uh so that that will be fun. Some uh, people look away from the car wreck cross. <laughs> yeah. Uh I am yeah. Uh not that person. No, I'm not that person. Uh I mean I did expose Sean to the um uh the room recently, so uh yeah. Oh, yeah. Fun aside. Yeah. So like <laughs> Back when Melissa and I first got together, I, I sort of like screwed up bringing her into the whole like bad movie culture because oh, yeah, yeah. I try as she she in good faith sat down to watch the room and while I think I vaguely told her it was bad, I did not list any of the specifics. Oh so yeah. When we got to the second sex scene, we mm-hmm. pretty much had to stop. But now she's like all interested in seeing the disaster artist, and I'm like, you know, that's going to make zero sense of le- unless you've seen the room, and then like she disappears in a puff of cognitive dissonance or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the room is really mm, like four sex scenes, three of them in the first half hour. Yep. It's it's a ooh, it's it's a tough sled. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, for it's, some it's people, like way up here, you've got like the act of killing, and yeah. then right below that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it. Well, in terms of bad, I wouldn't put it that high, up, but like in terms of B movies, oh, yeah. uh, like you know, Plan Nine from Outer Space, that's like easy. Like yeah. everyone can get behind that because uh-huh. that that's just silly, ridiculous, and innocent. Right. Um, it's, it's no Burdimic. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Burdimic is kind of in the middle of the scale because it's just got all those soul power uh, oh yeah the middle yeah yeah i think your overton window for movies is broken <laughs> uh yeah neil breen movies uh they're yeah. pretty bad but room's pretty high up there because you know, yeah 
For sure. Um, and even later on, like even past the sex scenes, just some of those middle parts, just like the alleyway scene. Like, what? Why is even that? Anyways, uh, because football. Yeah, <laughs> because football. And it's not even football. They're just playing catch. Uh, but uh, see, we're getting off path uh, a little bit, so we were kind of in a maze of uh, off topic. So that's a wonderful segue. Thank you. Uh, so recently, uh, I came up with this idea for this episode of uh, linear scenarios versus non-linear scenarios, and by linear, I mean basically the players have one path to go to, uh, and you see this a lot in pretty straight in, like things. The first thing that comes to mind to me is like a wilderness survival thing. Mm-hmm. Can you get out of a dangerous place with limited resources? Right. Um, you know, there's this the, dungeon crawls. Usually, I mean, it depends on the type of dungeon. If there's one thing at the end, you know, if the dragon's at the other end in the cave and you're trying to get to that dragon, then yeah, it's linear. Um, so nonlinear is obviously the opposite. It's it's uh, uh, there. There's a, a problem and there's multiple ways to resolve it, mm-hmm. uh, like a murder investigation. Like, do you actually try to solve the murder? Do you frame someone for it or do you fail to find it altogether? Or do you find the murderer and realize he won't be brought to justice? So you kill him. You become you know vigilante style, for example. Swear to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or you go full Batman. Um and drop your Batmobile on it because that's how he rolls in the Justice League <laughs> and Batman versus <sighs> Superman. Uh, just murder some people, Batman. Anyways, uh, th- see, those are choices. That was a nonlinear design. Uh, I came up with the idea for this episode uh, because of a book I've started to read. I haven't finished yet called The Labyrinth in Culture and Society Pathways to Wisdom by Jacques uh, Attali. Uh, and it's a it's a book about labyrinths and mazes. Uh, weird. Weird. And they, they talk about how the labyrinth in is a linear thing. It's usually sort of a spiral-based design. And you're just trying to get to the center. Uh, and it's often used as a sort of metaphor for the pilgrimage, for the ascent to heaven, you know, the path, you know, staying on the path from temptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see these, I- I- everything from ancient Greek myth uh, to uh, cathedral designs. Uh, and then, of course, you have mazes, which are nonlinear, you know, uh, you know, video games there's where there's dead ends and uh, uh, traps and that kind of thing. And you can just, you know, fail to get through or you find or there's multiple ways out of the maze. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way of uh, designing scenarios. So I talked to Bill about this or I mentioned this to Bill. And so, Bill, what are your initial thoughts? On- well, um, I mean, for for one, like we got to put some scope around this because uh, there's so much writing out there about, you know, sort of impugning linearity and scenario design. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think like the first thing we should do is maybe say, you know, linear scenario design is not objectively a bad choice. It's a Mm -hmm. tool to be used in certain circumstances. And, you know, we'll probably dig more into what those circumstances are. What I would sort of blow that out to say though, what you've got to keep a careful handle on is linearity in campaign design. If you're going for a longer time, that's where you're more likely, I would say, to get into a problem. Like, that's where that sort of lack of choice will Mm -hmm. will start to be felt more. In a given scenario, I mean, especially if you're doing a one-shot, but even a given scenario within a campaign, I've... That that's that's the first place of ground that I'll stake out is like linearity has its place. 
Uh, and that's a, and I agree. I totally agree with that. And I think that's a really good point. Um, and I, uh, uh, and I hadn't even thought about the, 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 the individual game session versus the campaign. And that's a, that's actually a really interesting point. Uh, because yeah, campaigns, um, I don't think you can have a longer work, a uh, longer game that is really satisfying if it's entirely predetermined, right. and, you know, uh, you're the, the GM is not there telling the story to the players. They're creating a story with the players. Mm-hmm. And that means that you can't understand you you don't necessarily know how it's going to end and um yeah so uh that yeah that's an interesting point um i think um for me uh like i recently played a video game uh night in the woods Mm -hmm. and they have a side game in that called lost constellation Mm -hmm. uh and in lost constellation you're essentially playing uh this woman who's trying to get to get through the forest to uh, the frozen lake um and they're all there's the the for, the god of the forest and mm-hmm. uh there's all these the the hunter and all these mythical creatures and beings that are standing in her way between that and it's a very linear scenario but it's very evocative because for one thing you don't know at the first thing you don't know why she's doing this or she just is very vague about why she's doing this uh and then you know it, it, it's kind of a cliche to say but it's about the friends she makes along the way <laughs> in a sense um <laughs> And I think that's another sort of major point about linear scenarios. It's a, it's not about what destination you're arriving at because that's predetermined. It's right. but it's about how or why you're doing this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like especially as relates to scenario design, like I think that's the first thing to make linear scenarios when you choose to use them really work. You've got to focus in because the way you sort of phrased that dramatic question is important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as taking a, you know, a fail forward approach or essentially like measuring the cost, that's where ra- both randomness and player choice come back into it is like sort of, you can boil a template dramatic question out of both linear and nonlinear scenario design in a linear scenario. You're necessarily kind of asking what price are the players willing to pay to pursue the path of whatever their goal is yeah. to kill this dragon, find this treasure, mm-hmm. you know, uh, save this princess, whatever yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. non-fantasy tropes also apply <laughs> here. But like in a nonlinear scenario, it really becomes more about exactly what version of what, like what are, are the players choosing as their own end goal? Mm-hmm. Um, and what means do they choose to pursue it? Yeah. Uh, of course, I, I, I guess I should mention in both these, uh, we're assuming in, there is kind of a special case with RPGs in that there's always the chance that the players just fail along the way. Right. Like, they, like if there's always the TPK clause, I guess we yeah. should call. So we, we, we should acknowledge there are the, even in a linear scenario, there is sort of a branch. Yeah. Can the, do the players just fucking die along the way? And I'm like, right. well, that's possible because mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a game and you know, crit failures happen as we see, especially in like games like red markets. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, there's double sevens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so Redmark is actually a really good example because most of these jobs are, at, at first glance, pretty linear. Mm-hmm. Like you have to go to this place and do this thing and right. get back. And um, and that, that it, it, it uh, then becomes like, 
in red markets, obviously, like, what are you willing to do to right. get the job done? Yeah. Um, it's, it's always implying that question of what price are you willing to pay? Because mm-hmm. even as like small branches open up, um, you know, some red markets we've played in the last few months, you know, the crew that I happen to be playing with, we had a car <laughs> available or actually yeah. a UPS truck. Mm-hmm. And it became a lot of, you know, sort of back of the envelope math of, well, do we think that this leg of the journey would potentially cost us more bounty than one unit of fuel would cost. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that becomes the, uh, the, the dramatic question is, you know, can we, can you get enough economic efficiency out of this? Right. Like, and that's of course the core theme of red markets is mm-hmm. like, is your blood, sweat and tears able, are you able to convert that into cold, hard cash? Uh, the answer is usually yes, but not nearly enough. Well, the question is if it's if your blood, sweat, and tears isn't enough, how where can you find other sources of blood, sweat, and tears? Uh, uh, and it's ex- markets. Let's A externalize those costs. Yeah. In other words, yeah. you know, tragedy of the commons, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, if you get six people to bleed for you, and they each get six people to bleed for them, yeah. <laughs> Uh, another distinction I kind of think about is uh, it, sometimes you can have a nonlinear scenario mm-hmm. that looks like a linear scenario. So right. um, in red markets, uh, there were several jobs. Um, I think in the brutalist, there was the the, the murder trial job mm-hmm. uh, where we had to where the, the the stated job was to escort a convict from point A to point B so they could be go on trial, quote unquote, and then be executed. Uh, but we decided to like, no, it's nonlinear because we're going to fucking prove that they're innocent because we feel bad. Right. And, uh, so that, so you can kind of, um, question the underlying structure, which is a very kind of postmodern thing to do, you know? And yet for all of that, I feel like most of the GM communication I see online, you know, mm-hmm. Tumblr, Tumblr posts or Facebook or whatever seem to revolve around that sort of, you know, rejecting the premise sort of issues. Yeah. It's pretty common in this hobby. Uh, yeah, that's true too. A lot of players, um, do, uh, say, I don't want that. Yeah. Like, Oh, it's a linear story. Um, you know, for example, like, Oh, you've been Shanghai on a, <laughs> and the the adventure is going to be on the science. Like, no, I don't. I I don't want to be Shanghai. But you've been Shanghai. Well, I I let my character. Yeah, that that that's true. You can make a nonlinear adventure out of a linear adventure. It's uh, quite true. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the question is, as a GM, how do you get the players to accept the premise, whether it's linear or nonlinear? Right. Um. A lot of that, I guess, is just sort of table etiquette and like. Uh, communicating what the players want to do mm-hmm. um, and sort of, yeah. So it's uh, not necessarily um, uh, nothing you can do in scenario design, but just like communicating with the players. Like, right. You're going to be Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Like this is what's going to happen. Like, yeah, I, I think for a thing like that, the idea of, you know, starting something at the latest point possible and mm-hmm. those sort of pacing techniques come in a whole lot. Um, but let's see. Well, I think also um, we should also talk a little about nonlinear, obviously. So nonlinear is um, basically the way you say that is that there is a problem. There is there is something that causing your characters to go into action to to resolve something. But uh, ambiguity, I think, is important uh, because the question then becomes how what is so, you know, a maze, you have multiple you you, you left forward or right. And Mm -hmm. so for the players in story. Converting that to story means 
here's this problem. This town is suffering or whatever. Right. Do you solve it with violence, like by go killing the, the bandits that are attacking? Do you solve this with stealth? By finding out where the bandits are and why they're doing this and resolving that mystery. Do you solve this with currency arbitrage? Yeah. Which is an RPPR kind of answer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or do you, you uh, manipulate the entire kingdom in right. order to make the uh, uh, economic means of banditry uh, infeasible? You know, uh, uh, we're going to start cheese smuggling. It'll, it'll work great. Uh, or mustard smuggling. Sorry. Yeah. Um, to get the RPBR uh, added right. So yep. um, so the question then becomes like the players choose what they think is possible or m- either what is most morally – like players also have to make their own value judgments. Like right. do, do we do the thing that is most – uh, virtuous, or mm-hmm. do we do the thing that we is the most effective, like the one we think we have the greatest chance of some kind of success? Right. I think you know. So we mentioned a few minutes ago, or at, at least I did. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You kind of came along with it that, yeah, yeah. that there are places to use linear scenario design. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually one of those has to do with knowing your players, uh, mm-hmm. because a non-linear scenario tends to have so much more emphasis on information gathering and sort of understanding whether you're making the right choice or not. The procedural, you'd say? Yeah. Procedural questions, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, like, it it sort of came as a surprise to me when I started, you know, running a lot of games that had Renee as a player, and I'm not picking on Renee here. This is perfectly (laughs) valid as a value system, but, like... In terms of a storytelling medium, she doesn't really enjoy that kind of ambiguity, which mm-hmm. made for a really interesting fit uh, in, you know, the Armitage files, uh, <laughs> which I, I dare say was sort of a campaign that was kind of about ambiguity. Yeah. But but nonetheless, like if you know that you have a bunch of people that don't really, you know, they get to deal all day maybe with questions of, am I doing the correct thing right now? Like, you know, if you're running games for a group composed entirely of freelancers, mm-hmm. maybe they'd be okay with, you know, someone telling them here, take this sword and go hit this orc. Yeah, that's true. Uh, especially if you've structured the campaign to be like orcs are unquestionably evil. They're threatening everyone and they need right. to be stopped. Yes. And and then the, the linear scenario is go sabotage their their fortress or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. Or go slay their cha- – assassinate their commander so they mm-hmm. don't know what to do or you know they don't know how to fight. Uh, then it becomes, yeah, like a, the, like a procedural thing, a question of tactics and technique right. and efficacy. Yeah. Um, and those sort of like very fine grained, there's still a lot of player decisions in there, but you're yeah. worrying about evaluating what is the right thing to do right now, yeah. not what is the right thing to do on some, you know, whether it's a moral principle or just, yeah. you know, is this the right thing to do in an efficacious sense? Well, mm-hmm. right now, I know I need to flank this orc. Yeah, exactly. But even those stories, they, they questions of like morality or virtue or uh, uh, honor, I guess, in some ways mm-hmm. uh, come up because the if you think of like military stories, what are the mm-hmm. most dramatic moments where it's not like, oh, we need to flank this orc. It's like. Oh, I'll hold them off, you know, and like, then it's not necessarily the most rational choice, but it's like, Oh, that, that guy's the squire's in danger. And I, I'm the one who recruited him. I feel responsible for him. So I'm going to let my character almost certainly die Mm -hmm. in order to save this person who is less powerful than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, so it becomes, uh, what it, it switches from procedural to, um, drama. Yeah. You know, to to uh, to a dramatic question, and right. there, there we go. The, the 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 core of the linear story: How do you do this? Mm-hmm. What, what is the cost of progress? Right. 
yeah, that's actually something when we were talking about beforehand, I started thinking that like, while this isn't a perfect analogy, mm-hmm. like linear stories tend to map a bit more onto most of your more iconic characters where they have some sort of iconic ethos. And the question is, can they hold true to that ethos and yeah. solve the dramatic question in front of them where like a nonlinear story reinforces more dramatic archetypes of this is the situation you are in. How are you changed by the choices you make in that situation? Yeah. Um, and so the not, linear versus nonlinear isn't even necessarily a question of genre or, or story type. You can no. tell the exact same story in a non, in a linear or nonlinear way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just sort of like, what what do you want to focus the game about? Like, mm-hmm. what do you want the players to be really like focused on? Because obviously, in any given role playing game, you can't like focus on everything perfectly. Right? And then you're not really focusing on anything. <laughs> so we already have that role playing game. It's called Life, uh, and you're already <laughs> playing. Oh wow! Yeah, it's pay to win too, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> free to play, pay to win. Yep. Um, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so. I think the thing is, um, as a game master, uh, you you kind of like want to vary it up too. So you like you want to do uh, scenarios where it's like you're really testing the character's virtues, mm-hmm. or they're they're you don't want to always you don't want you want to have a variety too. I think, uh, like you mm-hmm. said, I think um, campaigns need to have some variety, need to have some sort of nonlinear elements to mm-hmm. it, um, but like make it uh, hmm, make it more about. Uh, uh, challenging everything about the the player. I mean, of yeah. course, it depends on genre too. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a more laid back game, you know, if you're just dungeon rolling or whatever, eh. yeah. Um, certainly, the Ashen Stars game I'm running right now has been pretty laid back. Uh, we're kind of going over sci-fi tropes um, and just having fun with it. Like the first adventure uh, I'm setting up uh, was actually pretty non-linear uh, mm-hmm. for it. Which, uh, well, I actually have two groups for it. Uh, so we, I guess we kind of kind of analyze these scenarios and see whether they're linear or non-linear. Sure. Um, so the first one in Ashen Stars, um, the players were hired by this planet uh, to go check up on uh, Xeno archaeological excavation on the moon. And they, the people on this planet sent up a spaceship to go check out because there's some weird signal coming from the moon that they just discovered. Were there cat women and giant spiders? Uh, <laughs> no, actually. It wasn't quite that campy. Um but the players, uh, I the players then went there uh, after doing some investigation on the planet to learn more about what was going on, who was up, who, who had been sent up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's different factions on the planet all vying for political control. Uh, and then when they got there, they found out there was an alien artifact. And by tampering with this artifact, they activated the defense <laughs> cyborgs, basically. You know, yep. Um, and they had to help everyone evacuate. Um, but then they, they had this weird alien artifact and rather than give it to the people who'd been digging for it, you know, uh, they decided, well, it's too dangerous. We let's go take it to an expert to an- analyze and find out what's going on. It belongs in a museum. It, well, they, well, there's like, we, we don't trust these people on this planet, uh, to keep it because, Oh, cultural hegemony. Yeah. So they like, I gave them two choices at the end. So, well, there's a university of xenoarchaeologists. You take it there. And then there's a renowned xenoarchaeologist on this death planet. It's a death world. You know, it's really not a nice, oh, we'll go to the death world. Because, uh, you know, the university sounds dangerous because they're crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah, political infighting. <laughs> so, uh, how would you categorize that based on, and you can ask questions, obviously. Hmm. Is it a linear or non linear? 
I mean, I'm, at a blush, it sounds like relatively linear with some, you know, branching choice mm-hmm. points, but they, they tend to be more like, you know, it may be in that, like, what do I want to say that, that sort of Bioware model, which is not, you know, that's not criticism per yeah, se, yeah, yeah. but it's like, there are moral choices here, but the overall thrust of the story is still going to be the same direction. It's more, you know, up until that last one. Uh, you know who are you are who you are when you get there. Okay. More so than yeah. What's I, going I, to I would agree with the linear thing because the whole thing was to get the artifact sure. and rescue the people. Well, mm-hmm. rescue the people and get the artifact. So mm-hmm. the the artifact was kind of like a bonus. They could have left it behind. You know, if they had fucked up some, uh, if they made poor decisions or something like that. So or if they had you know respected the culture that they <laughs> came from. Well, the cyborgs were all like defense drones. They're kind of like pod morphs. So they were like long dead ancient species. Yeah, so. no, no. I, yeah, I yeah. meant the people that the moon. Oh yeah, yeah. Belong. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, there no, no, there, no one lived on the moon. They just sent. They were. It was a. It was a vacuum uh, moon. The, the the people from the planet were on the moon digging it up. So it was a long dead species. So okay. There was no cultural appropriation there, uh, uh, except in the sense of digging up an ancient species. Shit. <laughs> right. Uh, but there were no current. Yeah. So uh, I would say it's linear. But then they made it nonlinear at the end because I was expecting them to stay on the planet uh-huh. and be like, well, what are we, you know, and return to the people that have paid them to do that, and they're like, no let's go figure out what this is doing okay you're technically committing space theft like yeah that's fine it's Uh, more space fraud or space breach of contract yeah um but you got to watch out for the space breaches of contract uh because (laughs) your your financial atmosphere will just vacate out into the vacuum uh so the so there's another group uh of player characters and that's so at the same time they were dealing group a was dealing with that group b uh was hired by one of the factions to deal with this uh, growing group of squatters that were showing up on the planet mm-hmm. as part of, and there's basically space burning man on this planet. You know, there are just a bunch of space hippies and hipsters, uh, on this planet and being, someone was inviting them and telling them that there was a great party going on. And the, the, the faction that was living near them is like, they're stealing our water and we're very peaceful. We don't want to, you know, just shoot them or whatever, but can you deal with this problem? Uh, and so the players investigate, they re- reclaim the water. You know, they take over the, the 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 dam, and so they can reroute the water back to the the people who hired them. Um, then they find out that there's a team of mercenaries that have been secretly hired to lure all these people here. They're, they're, and so they go after the mercenaries, uh, and they capture them um, after a fight. And um, so the next adventure, they're going to investigate who hired the mercenaries. Why was someone trying to bring? all these mercenaries or all these people here, uh, which yeah, seems to make no sense. So how would you categorize that? I mean, that occurs to me to sound somewhat more nonlinear in mm-hmm. that one. It's a, it's a more open-ended question to approach, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why is this happening? Please go find out instead of, yeah. you know, there is a thing being dug up. Please yeah. go interdict the thing. Um, uh, that's true, and like the players, you know, they made value. It was it was a question. It was a mix of tactics and eth- ethics, uh, as they chose to use more. You know, um, they choose to be sneaky about it for the most part. Like they snuck into the the dam to take it over. They also snuck into the crashed spaceship, which w- had the reactors that the the squatters were using, mm-hmm. and they secretly sabotaged it so they they could turn off the juice at any time. Uh, so they try to use unconventional methods and uh, tactics mm-hmm. uh, to do this rather than uh, – uh, uh, so they were being underhanded 
but they weren't willing to. They could have just you know started launching tear gas at everyone and right. rounding them up, mm-hmm. or they could have sided with these people and like tried to coerce the faction into uh, taking mm-hmm. over. You know, like oh, there's more of them than there are of you, so why should we listen to you? You know, um, so. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that as more of a nonlinear thing. But mm-hmm. I think they're going into a linear one, which is find out who this guy is, who, who, <laughs> right. who the employer is, um, which will run at some point. So, yeah. so I think you're actually kind of illustrating an important point there. So a lot of what's thrown out as sort of invective against you know linearity, um, I think almost doesn't apply to the way we're talking about it here. Because like while there's a straight progression of linear events per se, mm-hmm. what I notice in what you're describing is you're not expecting anybody to take a given solution there. You're still letting them line up what they oh, yeah, feel yeah. like, you know, maybe in a smaller possibility space, but nonetheless, they still maintain that choice of how they want to address the problem in both circumstances. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, I think, the people in um, the the first adventure, the moon adventure, you know, obviously the question was um, the dramatic question was them how they work as a team because it was the first adventure of the campaign. So mm-hmm. like, it's like who are they are as people and like how do they resolve problems? And they were they were pretty like you know snarky, but they were also like willing to risk themselves to save the NPCs and stuff like that. And I think that's you know that's good. That's character defining. Mm-hmm. They were literally doing the first work to define their characters. Um, so, um, but yeah, in the, in the other adventure, they were they were also showing who they were by choosing out of this wide variety of things mm-hmm. to use sabotage and espionage to resolve their problems. So, um, yeah, that 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 yeah, those are good points. So, um, yeah, I, I, I want to go back to the uh, the campaign ideas too. Like, sure. Um, I think the, so when you when you're looking at a campaign, like you want to have this overall story arc. Like, how are you going to define it to make sure it's always nonlinear? You know, like the obvious campaign is like, there's a big, bad, evil guy. Go kill him. You know, so how do you make that nonlinear? So to sort of loop back around, I I think for a lot of these, um, the idea of Mm nonlinearity, like you're sort of hitting a break point between information gathering and information execution. Like to your point about pacing these two types of, of scenarios earlier. Like, you could probably do worse. It might get a little predictable, but if you ended up essentially running a campaign made out of, you know, shared scenarios or shared pairs, where it's like, you know, in one scenario, you're taking a nonlinear approach where you you know what the problem is, but you're out gathering information about how best to approach it. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second scenario, you're going and acting oh, yeah, on, yeah. on what you've discovered. You know, I've been thinking about that like a lot when I've been watching genre films and mm-hmm. reading genre fiction lately, you know, how much of the tropes of different genres are sort of about the shorthand of, of real world information gathering um, really specifically uh, it's really early, like into the run of this film. So I won't say much, but like I saw the last Jedi when it <laughs> opened yesterday and like it took, I, I stepped back and thought about it for a second that like, if you considered all the information gathering that's involved in that film and information disparities, 
then like that sort of breeds nonlinearity because how do you go about finding those things out? How do you go about get about acting against people who don't want you to find things out? Okay. Et cetera, et cetera. So going with the generic, go get the big, bad, evil guy plot. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so you start out with, um, yeah, you could start out with like, how do we, how could, how is that even possible? You know, right. like we have to find a secret weakness. Or yeah. It's secret if, weakness. If you, yeah. Say, say that, you know, that he is, no one has killed him yet because he is mostly impervious to damage. Yeah. Yeah. Does he have some sort of a secret weakness? If so, do we track, how do you track it down mm-hmm. beyond that? Even more just sort of, uh, you know, day to day block and tackle kind of stuff. Like if you're going to kill the guy, you need to know where he's going to be. Yeah. Uh, and there's also other things could come up too. Now that I'm thinking about it, like, Oh, the, uh, uh, are someone who helped us in the past has been captured. Should we go and rescue them? Mm-hmm. Uh, they might be helpful later on, but they might've been tortured into being useless. But mm-hmm. do we let our allies, do we let our friends just suffer so we can focus on the goal? You know, right. like, uh, in that case, then you have to go do your side quest, you know, At what price victory at what price victory. Yeah, exactly. So, um, because I mean that that's the thing about role playing games versus like uh, other forms of storytelling. It, it a lot of it the times is it's it's about this central conflict and can mm-hmm. it be resolved is mm-hmm. the question because it's a game right and the outcome is not predetermined. Yep, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's well, a different kind of linearity. which yeah. we're just going to say please don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's all those storytelling games and yeah, that yeah. have those kind of play with those kind of conceptions, but, but when you're doing that, you're all signing on to it yeah, from yeah. the beginning. Um, but they're not usually like the bulk of role-playing games are still in the, this kind of model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of it is kind of like going back to sort of the, the war gaming roots. It's a, it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an war, yeah. you know, it's not like one, every session is one battle, you know, yeah. a, a procedural thing, but the war itself is like, how do you define victory? Right. Like, uh, not only are we getting together to play imaginary cops and robbers with dice, we're getting to together to play imaginary what-if cops and robbers with dice. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, uh, a lot of the times we, we advise things that, that are focused on your individual players and what they respond to the most. Yeah. And so, um, for you, when you're designing scenarios, uh, obviously, I think there should be some variety. Because mm-hmm. if it's always this guy is telling you to do a thing. You have to go do the thing that Mm -hmm. gets really boring after a while. Um, but if it's all like, it's a wilderness of mirrors and you don't know what the fuck's going on or what, there's a problem somewhere. Oh, geez. Again, you know, like it just could like that could get tedious too. Yeah. Um, but I think also you, well, my original point was to, was to say tailor to your players. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you mentioned Renee, like obviously she's not so fond on the ambiguous procedural stuff. Like what is the most effective technique to do right now Mm -hmm. to result, just to gain more information. Um, but you also, so, uh, and then you have players like, you know, Tom who are more action oriented, like mm-hmm. they want to kill bad guys you yeah. know, and that kind of thing. And so you need to, to structure these things so that it's interesting, but I think not just in the way that they expect, right. Um, you know, uh, uh, to, to sort of challenge them in a way, uh, that feeds into it. So, I mean, I would, if I was to boil it down and get pithy with it, I, I would probably think of it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can you can sort of frame generally speaking nonlinear ambiguity as asking the question how do you know that oh that's a good point um, yeah 
but it's a strong spice. It's bal- it's balsamic <laughs> vinegar. It's fish sauce. And like, you know, some of us eat a lot of Southeast Asian cuisine. All and right. so like bring the fish sauce on. Yeah, and yeah, some yeah. people, it they feel like it smells like rotten feet. So... <laughs> Um, and you can also like I haven't seen the new Punisher show on Netflix, but my my understanding uh, my understanding that is it it relates to Frank Castle's war military background, and so he's investigating a crime, mm-hmm. and so like it's the Punisher, so he shoots bad guys, but like he has to find the bad guys to shoot, and then Ooh. yeah, uh, wow. yeah, <laughs> it, it's so for a Tom player that's actually an interesting challenge. Uh, yeah, uh, can you find the bad? Who are the bad? And also defining them. Who's the bad guy? Who who is worth being punished? Like, you mean it turns out they're not just like coming to you with yeah. a sign on their back that says <laughs> "shoot me," where they're not just standing in a room guarding a pie. You know, like Ooh, those pie guards—they've <laughs> got it coming. Yeah, those orcs guarding pies in ten by ten rooms. With, um, they they're 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 scourge, and we need to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, I think that's another thing. Is also. Uh, like what is your what is your like what level of morality are you trying to be a vigilante for like right. if we, if because uh, I understand a lot of it uh, my understanding is that it's going back to his his background as a special forces guy mm-hmm. and so he's fighting other military people and so like what point is that guy too dirty that you know even though he's wearing a uniform mm-hmm. he should he, you know if he was just following orders do you shoot him you know do you do you shoot everyone who's in your way or do you uh, use non lethal takedowns for uh, which is a lot harder and putting yourself at risk mm-hmm. um yeah but if you're in the bioware game then you get the good ending oh yeah, yeah yeah exactly which is a green beam instead of a blue beam yeah <laughs> uh i do actually make a lot of mass effect jokes in uh the ash and sars campaign so uh well <laughs> huh. suddenly my like sadness that i'm not able to be around for that it's it's, it's, it's ebbing. the 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 leader of the friendly cultists who believe that a former space hero is a messiah uh the the, <sighs> the leader's name is uh dlc for divine love commander <laughs> Uh, there's a character named Micro Raxaxion. Uh, uh, he really wish the listeners could see expressions. <laughs> I really wish they could. That's just kind of a preview of uh, the anecdotes. So, uh, it's, great. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, yeah, responding to the players too in terms of like defining uh, what is the not linear, you know, like. Uh, listening to them to trying to figure out what your scenario is. Like maybe you, you set up a scenario. You're not sure if it's going to be linear or nonlinear, you know, like mm-hmm. do the players, cause you know, some players will look at a maze and be like, well, we just climb over the walls or we bust the walls down. Like I just go straight. I, I, I have wall busting at five plus five. Um, Caleb comes up with operation color mammal. I find the engineer of the, yeah, I find the engineer of the labyrinth and I, I marry his daughter. So he gives, you know, like that, that, that's what I do, you know? Uh, uh yes. The winning move was not to play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, uh, did that happen? I mean, we, you know, you mentioned the Armitage files earlier. Uh, did that happen a lot uh, in terms of like, because it, 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 the, the initial setup is very nonlinear because mm-hmm. it's like, well, for one thing, like there is a problem, you know, Dr. Armitage's, Armitage's weird notes. Right. But then we have to define, we have to pick what we think is the plot hook. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah, that. So basically here was my cycle for that. We would come to the end of a document. Mm-hmm. I would, and you know, this maybe isn't the best from like best practices, but I had to live in reality as mm-hmm. far as these scenarios go. So like I would ask you guys, 
what uh, what element from the next note you wanted to go after. And I'd familiarized myself with that note and I might have an idea like sort of in the larger campaign sense what it was ticking towards. But I basically made no decisions about what any of the players in that document were doing until you guys told me who you wanted to go after. Mm-hmm. And then I looked around at what we had done recently to say, well, okay, so if they, I, I made it conform to, you know, what would sort of vary the story up the most. If you had gone after someone and it turned out to be the main conspirator in the previous adventure, then whatever you go after this next time is going to be more tangentially related. Or I don't think I ever like turned it into an out and out red herring just mm-hmm. because red herrings are not usually stellar choices in investigative games Uh, yeah i mean it depends on the type of game like if it's if that's sort of one of the themes is the wilderness of mirrors kind of thing where you're like tinker tail soldier spy like you need to have some dead ends to a certain degree i mean that they're again a very powerful spice especially in a game like that's about resource management Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of feel bad in we sunk a lot into this thing that was nothing yeah I'll save that for red markets. Um, I mean, yeah, I maybe that that because that I think the dead end is a dead end, like it's the end of the game. Like, mm, um, so yeah. if you made it to be like, you hear here's all these clues. Interpret the challenge is interpreting them correctly. So mm-hmm. like, is it is it uh, you know is it Steve or Dan who's the or, you know is it or uh, that is the traitor? Right. You have enough clues, you can make a case either way. Uh-huh. And then the players have to choose who's the traitor. You know who's the mole inside. And it turns out all along it was Dan, and you chose incorrectly, and he completed his ritual, and uh, Shubnigarath eats you. Well, yeah. I was just thinking he just he defected the Soviets, and like you know bad things happened. But like yeah, that's a, that's a little easier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily like apocalyptic, but again, I'm I'm thinking right. Tinker Taylor. So yeah. Um. So how much of the 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 conspiracy for Armitage files did you um predefine and was like solid, or how much did you mold around our choices, or especially with the choosing the clues in the documents? Much, much more to the latter than the former. Okay. Um. I <laughs> I was getting as close there's actually in the armitage files um the whole book there's a pretty great essay by steve dempsey about like if you wanted to go so far as to fully improvise gumshoe mm-hmm. how you and uh like you as a gm and a table full of players who were into that could go for it i didn't go quite that far but i wanted to go as far so there as were I some rooted elements could. yeah yeah but like very very few uh basically just that the documents were all related Mm -hmm. um, and that they were different elements of the larger working being performed. Okay. That's aside from just sort of that overall framing device, each thing in its own right, I would wait until you guys picked something. I would sit down, begin to sketch it out. I would usually flip into uh the hideous creatures section from Ken writes about stuff and like, <laughs> yeah, try to find Jojo's, yeah. yeah something, something new to put a different kind of spin on mm-hmm. that seemed at least related to what that part of the, you mm-hmm. know, larger working was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I mostly took a very responsive uh, approach to that. More of a nonlinear thing. So, and so it was kind of, <laughs> a, a, yeah, yeah. A consistent pattern of starting nonlinear, but then we, once we, after that initial thing of yeah. like, then it, it honed in on a linear thing, right? You could make a choice and yeah, maybe yeah. it's, you find a place that you need to assault to disrupt something, or, you know, 
who to go after. There's still the choice of method and all of that. But yeah, that almost goes to what I was saying a few minutes ago about like doing yeah. a paired paired scenario or even, mm-hmm. you know, just paired sessions of the same overall scenario of like you present the players at the beginning with essentially this open envelope of possibility space. And as they make choices, Narrowed it collapses. Down. Yeah. yeah. Down to at some point, like you can never have absolute certainty, mm-hmm. but you know enough wherever that line in the sand is for you as a player or, you know, you and the other players collectively to say, all right, I'm not a hundred percent, but I think this is how we deal with this. Yeah. And you go, you know, take the, the micro bits and pieces that move around in, in pursuing that approach. You try to, you know, line it up against what are the capabilities of this group as a group. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the nuts and bolts of storytelling setup and then payoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for role-playing games, that's like, uh, determining, defining a problem, a conflict, and mm-hmm. then resolving that conflict. Yeah. So, like you say, you know, there here's here's something not good going on, or like you want to change something, or you know, you, there there's some call to action, and then you just have kidnapped the president. Yeah. Or, or uh, well, great. Uh, I'm sorry. Wait. Uh, never mind. Um, the uh, well, I'm thinking about the unknown armies campaign that we that that was more that was proactive. Like we want to yeah. change reality mm-hmm. in a pretty big fucking way. Yeah. Uh, how do we do that? Okay. And then we narrow down to like we need to do this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. Add infinitum. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started resolving it because the whole thing is to get. I think the, the role playing game. We're all looking for the payoff. We're all looking for the moment where the dice roll really matters and there's context to it. Like mm-hmm. it's building context. Uh, it, the most of the work. Uh, I won't say the work, but most of the game is building enough context to have a great payoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. So it's it's not that you got a nat twenty on a on a bad guy. It's you got the nat twenty on that asshole who is standing between you and the treasure or your final goal or who had wronged you earlier. Uh, Usually, and, who had wronged you earlier? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, as players of role playing games, to a, <laughs> to an individual, we are petty and have long memories when yeah. it comes to slights. Or alternately, how you fail and like you you get a crit failure and like you, you explode is like that's why we play the games because of these payoffs that we remember and talk about later. You know. Um, and you know, even even our, our the games that get derailed. You know, I mentioned Shanghai earlier. That that was still kind of a st- that was like a mini entire story arc in of itself. The the short unhappy life of young Conrad Mueller uh, of Aaron's like I will not be Shanghai. This is this is the line and on in not in the sand but on the boat that I will not cross, and I will fight a shark to the death to to define myself and he did and he spoilers the shark won (laughs) the shark did win um and the and we still talk about it years later you know uh or uh in uh lady gaga 2.0 cyberpunk it was our um we have this great dramatic fight and we're like no we're just gonna just shoot everybody and and so sometimes it's it's uh there was a setup, but then there was a ironic reversal, and then mm-hmm. like we just fucking destroyed everything instead of having the big dramatic cinematic fire. We're like, nah, it's fine. Uh, it's just a different kind of cinema. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, linear versus nonlinear. It's all it. They're they're all tools. Like nonlinear. I think. It, it, I mean. 
it seems to be the, what we're saying is that it's better for the setup than for the payoff, uh, at least in terms of, uh, and I don't believe that's a hundred percent true, but I don't know. Is that, well, uh, if it's, so here's the thing, like you can probably have the payout come straight out of a nonlinear mm-hmm. you know, scenario, but then it's mostly just answering a question of information. Yeah. Like, if there's still something to be done, you know, it's almost if you want to take like the heist approach to it, say the nonlinear approach is who do you bring into this? What, you know, do you need a safe cracker or a hacker or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe both, but you know, the, the sort of gathering of the team in the same way, like the gathering of those individuals into a team is a lot like the gathering of information. And then the linear part is, I I know I've said this a lot, but like it's the execution portion. Mm -hmm. There'll be, you know, interesting things that happen along the way there. And like, now that I've dug myself into this metaphor, it just (laughs) reminds me how much I want to play blades in the dark because it just stands this whole thing on its head. Caleb's been reading that too, actually. And I have a copy of it. Uh, That's definitely something uh, we don't have time this year to do it, but definitely next year. We're, yeah. Uh, yeah, that sometime in the spring, I think we'll we'll definitely do that uh, yes. after after I finish Ashen Stars and yes. you your your work uh, schedule frees up a little bit because yeah, you and Caleb and me would, would be great for Blaze in the Dark. Um, <laughs> now you know now that I mentioned, I, I just said that I just thought I really I just thought of a way that's re- the reverse of that. Okay, and that would be uh, sort of. Um, you you start as a tight narrow situation, but then it opens up to dramatic possibilities, sort of chaos. So nonlinear is more chaos, more ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So think of a revolution. So it's linear to begin with. <laughs> like yeah. you have to build up allies, you have to figure out a ways to weaken the existing country, uh-huh. and then you have to launch the coup, coup d'état, and or the revolution, whatever you want to call it, and then. How do you win the peace? Yeah, exactly. Like now that you have a country or a nation uh, in turmoil because you Mm -hmm. just, you know, guillotined the tyrant and, uh, uh, you know, Aunt Mary and all the other, you know, courts, uh, courtiers, uh, what do you do next? Yeah. And so with that in mind, um, then it opens up into a nonlinear thing. Do you, do you go to talk, you know? And, and so it's, it's not an ironclad law, but like, right. it's, um, that's almost like, to be fair though, that's actually like, it's linear to begin with and nonlinear once you get, win the, win the revolution. But then once you make your choices, you get narrowed down to linearity again. Cause mm-hmm. like, Oh, we're going to go democracy. We're going to do this. Okay. Well, you have to defeat all these other factions and then you have to solidify your hold over the country and then, oh, there's Napoleon. Well, yep. you've got to deal with that asshole. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're really right on with that alternating thing. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, this is sort of a weird way to take it. But, like, um, so there's a four-part model that's actually used um, in discussing, like, how to operate as a fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. And it's, I believe, orient, observe, decide, act. And that's basically what you're doing. You can kind of drive or draw a line through the middle of that to look at, you know, nonlinearity and and linearity. Because at first you're, you know, observing, you're orienting. Where am I? Mm -hmm. And also observing what choices are available to me from this point in my context. Using that information, you decide what action to take. And then the linear part is, you know, doing that action. He said, returning to the point. (laughs) Do the thing. Yeah. Uh, no, that, yeah. All right. That, that's a, 
That's a good point. So, um, so these are yeah. Th- this is just again. I'm, uh, I mean, I, I even haven't even finished this book yet on right. Labyrinth. So uh, <laughs> maybe we'll do another episode when I do finish it. Um, uh, but you know, like on I, sidewalks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And dare we say it, railroad tracks. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they talk like already at the beginning of the book, there's a ton of things I want to look up now. Like they, they talk right. about the, the myth of the labyrinth, obviously, uh-huh. theses and all that. And they talk about, oh, uh, Herodotus uh, talked about the labyrinths of the 12 kings, you mm-hmm. know, in Egypt and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, there's a whole bunch of ancient labyrinths and shit that I barely know anything about. That, yep. I, I kind of look that shit up. Uh, and also how there used to be like great big giant axes with labyrinths carved onto them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where, where the term comes from, yep. uh, labyrinths. Uh, and yeah, they talk a little bit about that. So, um, obviously this was, I, I, the only reason I got the book too was, uh, as research for ruin. So, uh, <laughs> weird drink. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, we'll probably, we'll probably do another episode, uh, once we do finish the book and have some time to digest it. Uh, and Bill, if you want to read it after I'm done. Uh, yeah. Uh, I got a used copy too. That's great. It's got all these underlined passages and footnotes and, uh, crazy person things. Like it's almost a handout from Armitage trials already. So, uh, it's been pretty great. So, uh, but when we get back, we'll have shout outs and anecdotes. So, And we're back, and I probably won't even use Vaporwave for this episode, although that's not a guarantee. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like you're probably lying. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really into lo-fi hip-hop right now. Uh, have you listened to any of that? Uh, they're like streaming stations on YouTube uh, and uh, Spotify, and I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link. Uh, All right. Yeah. Sure. So it's very chill and very uh, uh, calming, uh, especially when you're stressed intent, out about it. So that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for shout outs, first one is obviously going to be The Labyrinth in Culture and Society, Pathways mm-hmm. to Wisdom uh, by Jacques Attali, uh, as this was the basis of the episode. Uh, it's been a fascinating read so far. It's getting a little new agey that I'm reading into it about like, it, the labyrinth represents the collective unconsciousness, you know, it's kind of Jungian uh, interpretation of them. But it's, I mean, as gaming fodder, there's, there's just in the first 30 pages, there've been a ton of interesting things in it. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, it, it references everything it like, Oh, it talks about doom and uh, the, you know, Theseus, you know, and the Minotaur and that kind of thing. So, okay. yeah. So I, I thought we were going to go into ripping and tearing. Uh, no, no, he, it's kind of, it's the guy is a, fr- uh, the, the author is French. Oh. Uh, but so he calls doom a slugathon and I'm like, all right, I, dig that term actually so uh i don't know where you got it but uh good on you um you've been listening to some podcasts lately yeah yeah i sure have um so actually one that i got back that i got back into i was originally into it back uh gosh when i first when rppr first started it was one of those back in that like you know hallowed year of 2007 um (laughs) Is Retronauts, uh, mm-hmm. which is a retro gaming podcast. They pretty loosely define retro gaming like anything that's pretty much at least 10 years old. Which, so like original Xbox by now. Yeah. 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 Uh, but this podcast, like, I think they've got like 10 years, yeah, of backlog at this point with some gaps in the middle because most of yeah. the participants were originally one up staffers back at oneup.com when that yeah, was yeah. a website. And uh, now they're out on their own, like doing a Patreon funded thing, uh, basically 
like the main guy doing it his name is jeremy Parrish. uh also has a youtube channel with a bunch of great like retrospectives like recently uh because like it's great stuff to just sort of put on and have as as semi semi interesting noise while like taking care of a baby and stuff. But like he's walking game by game through the like Game Boy releases chronologically. So starting in 1989. And wow. Yeah. There's a lot of really rough stuff in there. Yeah. I feel no. for him. <laughs> God, there's a couple hundred games, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a big list. Wow. He's, I, I think he's like in the mid one hundreds and uh, he's through part of 1990. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, uh, will I'll download a couple episodes that listen to that. Yeah. Cause we're going to pack South, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, that's January 12th through the 14th in austin or uh san, san antonio, antonio? Yeah, yeah yeah san antonio texas so we'll be there yeah uh so check us out there by the way i should have put that in the news but whatever uh you know now <laughs> if you've been listening to all this time uh we'll of course record an after hours episode to talk about it after we're done uh but yeah it, it will record some panels too um so yeah it'll be cool uh anyways my next shout out is uh something i've been watching a lot of for some reason uh ultimate Beastmaster uh on netflix uh which is kind of like ninja warrior sasuke um it's a competition obstacle course mm-hmm. type of show uh what's interesting is they're they're shoot it for six countries yeah um and there's there's uh there's two competitors from uh six countries in each episode and one makes it to the finale at the end. So there's nine people make it for the final episode. Um, and it's, they've already got the second season out. The second season has different, like the first season I really enjoyed because they had Terry Crews as the announcer. And he yeah, was, he's a, just a great, you know, charismatic guy. Um, and, uh, the, the, the announcers on season two, I can't even remember their names, but they're really mm, kind yeah. of duds, but they changed the obstacles up. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's kind of interesting because, for me as a game designer, I'm like, well, how did they engineer this? And how are they doing that? Oh, look at the differences in how they design and how they're scoring points right. between season one and season two. They're learning. Yeah. And, uh, but for, as an obstacle course, it's really weighted towards climbing. Yeah. Uh, so like for some weird reason, the, the, the world climbing champions are doing really well. In the, uh, I was going to say, cause I remember yeah. like Melissa watching this for a while and me kind of halfway watching it. And yeah. Like it left me with the impression that like when the apocalypse comes, Comes, like mountain climbers will be who survive. I mean, to be fair, they climbing does seem like a really useful skill. <laughs> right. Well, let alone like yeah. it's a pretty comprehensive full body workout. Like yeah. the climbers do great at all the other parts too. Yeah, they do. Uh, the, there's a lot of jumping. There's a lot, a lot of upper body strength. A lot of yeah. I mean, it, uh, it, it is varied. Uh, but it's it's a kind of show you could watch without paying a hundred percent too. And for me, it's just yep. like. I've been stressed about work and other things lately, so uh, this has been very, you know, uh, chill, very relaxing. You know, uh, not quite the visual ambient that British Bake Off is, but uh, that that's how Caleb describes Bake Off. Uh, he's not wrong. <laughs> also, quick quick unscripted shout out. If you're looking mm. for another hit of that kind of stuff and haven't gotten there yet, we're really enjoying the... Uh, the big family bake off show or no, no cook off show or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's, it's basically the great British baking show, but also with families and not exclusively baking. Okay. Sounds cool. Uh, what is it on Netflix? Oh, it's on Netflix. Is yeah. it a Netflix original? I, or is it maybe, something that they or it licensed? might be borrowed from the Beeb? I okay. don't, I, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. You know, the, the thing about it being visual ambient is I don't have to pick up a lot of the details. Right. That's fair. Cook delicious food. It's kind of the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you've been listening to another podcast too. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. I put my ears through their paces lately. Um, <laughs> so like, like these guys, you know, need a shout out, but, uh, the, one of the first nonfiction podcasts from night Vale presents, uh, is I only listen to the mountain goats, which is, um, <laughs> Jeffrey Fink, the writer of night Vale and, uh, Alice isn't dead. Like, talking song by song through the mountain goats album, all hail West Texas with John Darneal, the, who, you know, frequently is the mountain goats. Um, like since Caleb put me on to John Darneal's fiction, I was pretty interested in this to begin with. And like, if you've, you know, read or listened to an audiobook of universal harvester or, um, Oh shoot. Wolf in white van. Yeah. Then, um, like if you would like to take that sort of, that feeling of being in unknown armies, but not knowing you're in unknown armies yeah, that those books kind of give yeah. you and condense them down into three minute singer songwriter songs. <laughs> you're going to be there. And like, All right. they also have a lot of good conversation. Um, they're getting like different artists to m- produce a cover of each song on the album. Oh, wow. And then they're selling the album. So like, interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. That actually is really cool. Um, another time what I've been getting into uh, is Killing Floor 2 because co-op first-person shooters are my, 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 my jam. Yeah, they are my jam. Uh, they're doing a seasonal event right now, Christmas theme. no Overwatch. Uh, well, that's not co-op. That's competitive. I, mean, I know they have co-op modes, but that's kind of a side show compared to the main. Well, it's 6v6, yeah. so it's... Mm. There are five other. You're co- you're cooperating with almost mm. as many people as you're competing with. Mm, yeah, no, no, no. Right. I, I like. Okay. I yeah. I no. uh, I played like I played some Overwatch. I have it. I know. I just can't. Yeah. I, I was there when you, yeah. when you first Overwatched. <laughs> uh, so Killing Floor, dude. They're doing a uh, a holiday Christmas theme. Uh, they've released a new boss. Uh, it's basically a mega bloat. Uh, <laughs> And uh, they, yeah, they've got they've added new weapons. Uh, I've been trying different uh, perks. I'm actually really into gunslinger right now, which is pistols, um, headshotting little guys and running around because uh, the gunslinger is faster than the other perks. So you can run faster, so you can just run and gun. So that's that's ad- adds a little bit of survivability. So it's it's right. pretty, it's fun, and it's co op. Oh, and they added the chicken suit, uh, the only cosmetic DLC you will ever need. It's five dollars, but you can shoot zombies while wearing. A chicken suit what else well, do you need yeah i mean like you, <laughs> that's it like shut it down everybody <laughs> i mean they had another cosmetic dlc that i was really tempted to get where you wear cardboard armor like uh cardboard boxes that's is on. that's not a chicken suit <laughs> it's not a chick yeah i didn't get it by definition it is it not is a not i didn't suit, get it because so, i waited yeah. for the chicken suit now i have the chicken suit i there's no point in now you anything. can die happy i well yeah Many times, in fact, because I'm not super great. Uh, let's see here. Um, did you have any other? Oh, there was yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even talk about the movie. Right, right. In so, the main episode. So, yeah. yeah. Just to wind back a little bit, one of the one of the use cases actually for a linear scenario, it strikes me, if you've got a really stinking weird game or really stinking weird settings specifically that's like a linear scenario to kick things off is sort of a great choice because you know mostly you're just sort of you know the the attraction is 
letting getting your players exposed to this weirdness. Now, this is the critical one to not turn into a campaign because, well, just Google Tour de Realms and you'll uh, you'll find out all the reasons not to do that. But I was thinking back about linear games like I that I've run, like you know, don't rest your head and the like of that. And thinking about that, that reminded me like structurally of a uh, Martin Scorsese movie uh, from the early 80s, After Hours, which is basically um, a New York financial agent guy uh, like ends up going to meet a girl that he meets, I think, randomly in a cafe somewhere down in Soho. And apparently, like, I've heard generally that, you know, New York in the late 70s and early 80s was sort of a weird place considering like it's sort of that, you know, maison scene that gives us Ghostbusters and stuff like that as well. But like for a movie that is basically about, man, parts of New York are really flipping weird. <laughs> um, like I, I cannot listen to the song Is That All There Is to a Fire now because it's in this movie and context. So... It's really weird. Martin Scorsese's a pretty great director. Oh yeah, um, I um, I've, I've, I think I mentioned I've, I've uh, gave this a shout out a while ago, but uh, I watched for the first time this year uh, "Bringing Out Your Dead," yeah, uh, which is a 1999 Scorsese movie starring Nicolas Cage as a paramedic. Have you heard of that? No, uh, but it's also about New York being weird. Oh, uh, right. It's Nicolas Cage being weird. He's haunted by the ghost of someone uh, who died. He tried to save. And uh, but he has uh, various partners. One is uh, John Goodman. One is Ving Rhames, and one is Tom Sizemore. I forgot what order they they go in. And so it's him dealing with the the inhabitants of the, you know that get that he has to you know the, the the junkies and the regular people and the criminals that he has to save. You know, uh, did you try- see this before or after Somewhere Lane? Uh, this is before actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Kind of sounded uh, like it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's a really good movie. It's actually re- like Nicolas Cage can be a good actor. It's, we've all seen it happen. Yeah, uh, when it, when he's paired with a good director who can right. tell him what to do, uh, and this is certainly I think one of his strongest performances. And like, wow. it's a great movie. Like, it's criminally underrated. Like, all right. uh, so yeah, definitely. But it's obviously darker because you know a lot about death. Weirdly enough, I uh, mean, actually, After Hours for being a comedy is oh, still yeah. has has a lot of darkness. To yeah. It. yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, let's see here. Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, speaking of, well. Um, Maybe not as stressful. Uh, uh, music. Uh, there's a record label I like. I've been listening a lot to lately called Chill Hop Music. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do lo-fi hip-hop, uh, chill hop, kind of like calm, jazzy kind of hip-hop music, mostly instrumental, not entirely. Um, it's it, I, I like it. I've been listening to a lot lately. There's uh, I'll link to the uh, label's website, uh, but they have they have playlists on Spotify and on and they're streaming things on YouTube. So I mean, are you saying it's maybe a bit like vaporwave without the distortion or pictures of Macintosh computers? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. If you if it, if you'll give it a shot, sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I might. Um, let's see here. If, if you're uh, lying to me, I know where you live. <laughs> That's true. I, I you're not wrong. Uh, and finally, I do want to mention uh, the other video game I've been playing a little of lately, uh, Night in the Woods, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. 
Um, the Lost Constellation minigame I really love. The main game, I've only, I haven't gotten very far into it. Uh, and it has a DDR rhythm kind of minigame in it. And I'm terrible at those, so that's kind of a point against it. But I enjoy the writing and the graphic design, the, yeah. the, the look of it uh, a lot. Um, I just hope that I, I hope you don't have to beat that uh, mini game to progress in the main game because I am fucking terrible at that. I have to get Aaron to do it for me or something because he's actually good at that shit. Yeah. Um, never, never got big into Parappa? Uh, nope. Uh, or uh, DDR or any of the various Guitar Hero games or any of that. Just <laughs> nope. Not me. Um, too easily frustrated. So, um, any other shout outs? I think I'm good. All right. Uh, so anecdotes, uh, like I said, I've been running Ashen Stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last session, as I mentioned earlier, the players uh, in one group decided to steal this alien artifact that they found, which is this floating golden sphere. Uh, made it a weird signal. Changes sizes every once in a while. They don't know what the fuck it does. And um, they take it to uh, Dr. Lin Yama, who's on this death world. Um, and uh, I think I called it Duzak 3 or something like that. And Duzak 3, I said, um, was a, f- a death world, but even though it had a breath- breathable atmosphere. Um, so basically, uh, in Ashen Stars, there's this whole intergalactic war that happened like seven years ago. Um, and uh, that caused all this kind of damage. So on this planet... It was being terraformed when the war hit, and so uh, the enemy, the Mo- this alien species called the Mohilar, uh, biobombed it and like caused all the ve- ve- vegetation to mutate. So all and then all the life just mutated. So like the vegetation is super. Uh, it's a death world because all the vegetation grows very fast, and it's like kudzu, giant kudzu crossbred with uh, Venus flytraps. Um, so. Do yeah. not want. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's called the Death World for a reason. Um, but there are uh, some creatures do live. I said me- there are mega herbivores. Um, there are super mega elephants and mega sloths. And uh, so the players, to get there, um, they, la- they land their shuttle on the landing pad, which is overgrown with vegetation. So they then uh, improvise a flamethrower to clear the path. <laughs> Uh, and then they see this giant sloth coming out of the forest uh, in in their way. So they're like freaking out. What are they? It's during the thunderstorm, Run, you know. Yeah. Or at least walk briskly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that that's sort of the, their welcome to this world is seeing a three story tall sloth uh, <laughs> in their path that could crush them. And um, I don't want to hint too much more, but you know, they they uh, it, it's. Uh, I actually was for my uh, the, the Ashen Stars campaign was originally all going to be set on this cowboy planet Abundance Five, um, but then after ru- doing the uh, space opera episode or preview episode one forty eight, I was like, no, let's let's vary it up. Let's so and now they're on a death world, and we'll see where they go next. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, everyone else is having a lot of fun. Uh, Tom's two Thomas two characters in the campaign, uh, brothers who are the alien insect people drink yeah weird uh one of them uh is driven by uh, a gourmand uh he wants to try all the new food and he has a food journal so by by food does he mean sentient species no they're actually it's actually in ashen stars that 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 uh species is has been engineered to not eat people like they 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 genetically altered themselves so they would not be cannibals anymore did tom shed a single tear when he read that (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, a little bit. All so. right. Uh, but his other uh, character is a uh, insect alien person who his drive is sexual adventure and has points in flirting. So, <laughs> yeah. Our little boy's growing up. Yeah. Uh, so Tom got a Tom. And uh, that's something to look forward to. After we finish Gate Nine, I'll po- start posting that next. Uh, that'll be a mini episode or mini campaign. It won't be it won't be a super long uh, campaign. Uh, and then after that, I think I'll start Tales from the Loop uh, next. Awesome. Uh, I recently got oh yeah, I recently got the uh, our friends the machines uh, uh, adventure uh, adventure anthology of. Uh, Tales from the Loop. It looks really cool. Yeah. Uh, that's a really pretty book. And the adventure book is just as pretty. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's something to look forward to. Um, anyways, uh, any final thoughts, Bill? No. <laughs> all right. This has been a labyrinth of an episode because uh, it was linear. You'd listen to it. Hopefully all uh, you didn't just skip around. Uh, <laughs> now you're at the center. You've gotten your pathway to wisdom uh, here. Okay. Should, not with a segment. Now, now just, you know, use a more complex uh, <laughs> audio player and play this episode backwards to get back to where you started. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, please check our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash RPPR. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes uh, or whatever uh, podcasting software you're using. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.